0: Welcome back to the russians uh we have a special guest for you today uh jeremy morris who is a professor at the school for culture and society at Aarhus university uh, that's in denmark uh he's the author of everyday post-socialism uh sort of ethnographic look at working class communities in, in russia uh, today uh thanks for joining us jeremy
1: no problem
2: my pleasure. Yeah, hi. Thank you.
0: I, I guess, you know, I mean, we, we've been wanting to talk to you for a while now, since probably the, the start of the war. Um, right, yeah. B- in a large part, because you wrote a, a pretty good, prescient um, post uh, on your blog right before the war happened, um, sometime in January, probably about a month before before the war, where you sort of outlined some of your thoughts about what would happen if the war broke out and Russia you know, would invade Ukraine, because back then, you know, there was a lot of noise coming out of uh, American intelligence circles and in some and and some places in Europe. Basically, that there was you know that R- Russia was doing a buildup. A lot of people didn't believe it, including myself. You know, that I thought it was just kind of a bluff. Um, and you weren't, you know, you you you, if I remember correctly, weren't making a prediction of whether or not the war would happen. But you were sort of playing a what if if it did happen, what would happen? And I really liked it because you know. Um, because uh, I think you know, you kind of summed up something that's you know kind of come true. Uh, and let me just quote what you wrote. So summarizing your predictions, uh, you wrote uh, more of the same except worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Which, and then you then you wrote, you know, my 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 two main points are this: Russians have been desensitized to the conflict. Unfortunately, open warfare would not fundamentally cha- fundamentally change anything. Secondly. The many voices that condemn Russians for the absence of widespread anti-war protests show their ignorance, not only about the reality of life in Russia, but about how their own societies would perform in analogous circumstances. You know, we can talk about the details, but I think, you know, broadly speaking, um, the two, these two points. You sound like a Russian. You sound like a Russian, and these two points have proven to be broadly correct now, you know, half a year into this thing, almost, you know, um.
1: Yeah, and it's it's early days still. I yes, mean, that's exactly it is. That's early what days. we have to keep saying. You know, um, predictions are incredibly dangerous. Um, and in this post, I was trying to maybe roll uh, roll back a bit from predictions and and maybe take what what I thought was a contrarian position because people were making such outlandish uh, and in some cases now correct predictions. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people were making fun of people who made these predictions. That they would try and rush for Kiev, and yes, yeah, and none of us, none of us thought that, and we were wrong. Yes,
0: Um, I mean, you know, it's all the assholes were were right. We're telling the truth for once, I guess. You know, it's like uh, it's one of those things where the all the intelligence sort of that was coming out.
1: Somebody, somebody said to me, you know, don't be, you shouldn't beat yourself up for not having, for not being friends with people in the intelligence services,
0: exactly, (laughs) or not believing everything that they say because yeah no it's funny it's a, it was a funny thing but I do think you know uh, look yeah you're right the war is still in its early stages and it's pretty clearly um, gonna keep going you know it's, the end game here is again not clear uh, no one really knows and you know the Russian government is being very cagey um, about you know now making like big big um, pronouncements like it did in, in February yeah um, mm-hmm. But it's pretty clearly going on, but I, but I, you know, like now that the dust is settled and you know, we can look at it not fully settled, but it's a little bit more settled and you know, the kind of the panic of the first few, few weeks and, and months that I think gripped a lot of people, uh. You know, a lot of people who are connected to Russia, uh, you know, it gripped us for sure. We were, you know, the, those that first the, those first few weeks and the first few months of that war were very traumatic, uh, just because it sort of flipped everything. You know, Um, yeah. But also us. for
2: Russians inside, obviously, for certain urban Russians who, uh, in a rush, like left yes. Russia, they, like mm-hmm. from what I understood, uh, even asking friends around, a lot of them did come back by now. And uh, right, so yeah. again, panic definitely settled in and there either most of them just came back, that's it. Yeah. And they have to deal with this as you as you wrote, the same but worse. Yeah. Or they have some kind of like um, longer term plans and they're executing them, but in a more sort of not rushed way um, and planning to live again. But but yeah, but it it, it seems like um, I don't know things are. It sounds weird, but kind of back to normal at least from what I hear I yeah. in Moscow.
0: Back to normal, but worse. Well, that's yeah. what
1: I was saying. I was saying that today to to uh, a journalist from Finland. You know that mm-hmm. that he was talking about how you know there's this significant part of Finnish public opinion that wants to you know just stop Russians coming across the border because as you probably know they just dropped their COVID restrictions yes and so they're seeing a lot more Russian tourists Mm -hmm. and 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 this kind of led us on to a conversation where I was saying you know whatever whatever we think about what the west has done we have to realize that it's still not entirely sunk in um, for the vast majority of Russians, because what we think are big effect, big economic financial um, effects, right, on the Russian economy, have not yet happened fully mm-hmm. for uh, the majority of people who are living on living precarious lives on very very low incomes. Um, yeah, and so that was one thing that I wanted to get across to 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 a western audience that you know what we see you know it's a perennial thing that annoys me and other and many other people what we see in terms of reportage and and the line that we see in a lot of western media is is meant to reassure us it's not even meant to support ukraine you know it's meant to reassure us that we've done something and we can feel good about ourselves but it's incredibly dangerous because it creates this extremely misleading picture that uh, we've done a lot, and you know we can feel good about ourselves, yeah. when actually, you know, uh, regardless of what you th- what you want to happen, um, for a lot of ordinary Russians, you know, it, it's it's yeah, they're they're fearful about the future, but they haven't been significantly affected, right? But do you mean by "have done a lot"? You mean sanctions? Yeah, by sanctions and um, what we could call um, divestment, you know. Yeah. So. Again, another thing that a lot of people get wrong is they think that there are all these sanctions when actually the sanctions the packet of sanctions is quite narrow still um most of the really visible stuff has been voluntary withdrawal right yes yeah. For, by western companies and mm-hmm. uh, and and in fact, a lot of them have not withdrawn or have kind of made a kind of um made motions towards withdrawing or visibly um reduce their presence but in actual fact um continue to um you know their production or their their operations continue in russia
0: yeah or they took a basically did a pause and then are hoping that to resume right um operations
1: yeah they're hoping that it's all going to go away and um you know again whether we think that's hypocritical good or bad or whatever um this is another thing that the western media in particular yeah is not willing to really you know talk about the fact that actually there is not a very you know there is not a united consensus yeah um among you know within western within western states within western capital right um you know russia was and will remain a large market an extremely profitable market you know while i'm an ethnographer and most of my work is about talking to russians um way, way, way outside Moscow. Um because when I was writing my book, it just it was just a complete chance I was living in a town whose employment was basically transitioning from these um Moribund uh Soviet-style factories to people doing like two or three hour commutes to go and work for Volkswagen, Volvo, Mitsubishi, Peugeot. There's basically this big um, car, uh, automobile uh, cluster in Kaluga region. Because I was able to access that and um, through my my quite mundane research, which is talking to um, working class Russians in this town, um, I kind of gained quite a lot of knowledge of both how transnational capital Works in Russia and what it wants from Russia and why it's there, but also how these um, um, special economic zones, which have different a different legal framework to the rest of Russia, how they also operate, and of course, Russia is not you know unique here. This is something that um, transnational companies use in all kinds of places in the world. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I have an interest also in um in the effect of sanctions, because the divestment of Volkswagen, for example, did have an immediate effect and could lead you to believe that, wow, you know, we've really hurt the Russians where it matters, right? Yeah. But once more, you know, regardless of what we want and what we think is right. The transnational corporations and these auto clusters, these special econ- economic zones, you know, they're not a big part of the Russian economy. They're a kind of poster child for, um, you know, modernization, mm-hmm. diversification, but they're not big. And um, Nick Trickett, the um, the economist, the uh, he, he's from the States, but he he works in, in London. You know, he was really calling out this... Um, this article from the Yale Management School that came out, I think, yesterday and had a write-up in the US press. Mm -hmm. Um, He was really calling out this, uh, as BS, this number that they quote, which is 40% of GDP, 40% of Russian GDP um, being, you know, effectively destroyed by this and that's really really misleading his point was and he's absolutely right yes a very significant amount of russian russian economy was um benefited from this investment right you know a, a lot of the investment in um the service sector in um you know like consumer staples production of consumer staples and and as i said my example being you know um Automobile production, yeah, it's true that that was foreign companies. But um, just because they're going doesn't mean that production ends. The car production is just this really, really visible thing where because it's dependent on silicon chips that they don't have mm-hmm. um, and other quite you know high tech elements. Yeah, it does. It does have an effect.
0: I mean, I don't know, it's, 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 uh, the Western coverage of things is very connected to the kind of to to the to the very urban liberal, um, kind of urban class in, in, in Russia, you know, in Moscow, in particular. And so a lot of people who are uh, you know like fled especially the sort of more oppositional media people you know I follow their t- telegram channels and I follow them online and they were making fun of you know the news that came out that LADA is going to be re- re- reproducing or releasing this sort of base model now without airbags because that's one of the one yes. of the effects of the sanctions is that they, they can't replace the airbags apparently I, I had no idea that that was such a you know an, an, an imported good that can be produced in Russia but I mean I, it must it might be local right but I mean I imagine for that region that you studied and the people that you 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 know you knew and and, and you uh, befriended out there um, in the Kaluga region that the closure of all these plants, I mean, must have an effect. You know, they might be able to get another job maybe somewhere and it's not like it's, it's not, you know, countrywide, obviously, but there must be a pretty important uh, employer in the region, right? Um, And so, I mean, I'm curious, what what are those people doing? Because I mean, I imagine, you know, there might be a kind of a substitution coming in to affect some... But you know, also some... how they
2: look at it. Does it make them, yeah. like, somehow all of a sudden politicize them and makes them more sort of hateful of the
1: regime? I mean, I draw this contrast between people... So people look at this thing that's happening and it's really obvious and it's re- it seems really big, and they think it's going to have this macro effect. And um, my point is, ironically, that, you know, I look at the micro scale, but I'm always, you know, very keen to say, well... You know, Russia is a very big country. Um, The things that I look at have a huge effect. These things will have a huge effect on my uh, field site and may have some of the effects that, that you just mentioned, politicization and so on and so forth, and economic effects. But once again, it just seems to me that we're almost clutching at straws and avoiding the elephant in the room. Sorry for mixing my metaphors. So, you know... One, you know, again and again and again, it's just worth saying that if the West is really serious, it has to divest from fossil fuels, right? I'm not it's saying, I'm not saying that, answer, that yeah. I think that's good or bad. I'm not, um, you know, I can do later if you want. I, I am not expressing my own political opinion about what we should do. We, the collective West, with Russia, right? I'm just saying, you know, if you're really serious about punishing Russia. And making it economically impossible for Russia to continue the war, we're doing almost everything wrong at the moment. Yeah,
0: not just the West, the whole world. I mean, you know, all the all the potential customers, Russia's potential customers, you know, would have to forsake uh, fossil fuels
2: the citizens of Collective West will have to tighten their belts and they don't necessarily <laughs> well, want to. Yeah, them, right? we'll
0: have to do embrace degrowth and um, you know, and become real, you know, really start to fall in love with them with the bicycle and things like that in America. Which Yeah, you can just which imagine. we do in Denmark. You
1: know, <laughs> we love the bicycle in Denmark, but but Denmark is very flat, so uh, so we don't mind. But just to go back to your yeah let's do let's do a quick dive then into um how it looks right now. Yeah let's do it. For, yeah you know, what I slightly disparagingly call my guys, right? Yeah. The guys that mm. have been laid off from VW, for example. And I talk to them, you know, not every day. Well, I mean, I talk to somebody every day, but I don't talk to my VW guys every day. One of the reasons is because they're really, really depressed, right? Mm. Um, one of the points that I make in a, in a piece that I wrote just uh, recently is that these are these were really, really high quality blue-collar jobs, the like of which Russia had largely lost outside the military-industrial complex. And so they were more than just this symbol of high-tech diversification of the economy. They actually meant something, at least in Kaluga region and in uh, Leningrad Oblast and um, in other places where there's automotive clusters and, and, and perhaps one or two other places, right? And so, you know, we're talking about two two and a half times the average income uh, for the region for what is not really a um, really physically difficult job, right? It is not a a really, really complex job, but it was a good quality Mm -hmm. job, right? And this is something that was in such short short supply that people really valued it. So people really did think in, in these places like Kaluga, they did... Buy in even more to the regime narrative, which is, you know, we've turned a corner, we've become a high middle income country. Mm-hmm. You know, Russia is on the up. So ironically, these transnational corporations like Volkswagen, they did allow a lot of these guys to kind of regain kind of national pride. Ironically, interesting. Um, and that's gone now completely, and it's not coming back. They're in this situation of stasis or they don't know what to do and and again people keep saying to me oh they'll go back to the old ways which is you know a number of things they could do they could um commute to moscow and work on construction sites but hey there's going to be a massive downturn even in moscow and you know even service sector jobs are going to be uh, in short supply so that option is not is not there anymore they could migrate to a different region and try and go uh, to and work for another factory. But again, beyond the military industrial complex, you know what is there at least in this intermediate period of transition yeah. towards a war economy, right? Or, or they could do something that I write I wrote a lot about in my book. They could kind of go into the cracks. They could they could find a kind of niche. Um, in the uh, the black economy or what I call the informal economy, right? Um, you know, you, the ubiquitous um, taxi driving, odd jobs, trades, right? All these things that exist outside, you know, the Moscow bubble. But again, is that is that possible? Once you've, you know, once you've been on what is, as I said, a really good blue collar wage, it's just we're really in this... Yeah. I don't want to call. I don't want to call it phony war because it's already not a phony war. You know, all Russians. I think we can say are fully aware of what is happening. Right. No, almost almost nobody could be in denial anymore.
0: No, this is this is in two thousand fourteen. You know, this is a much yeah.
1: It's an economic. It's still an economic phony war, right? In that people have lost their jobs. People have seen this spike in inflation, which in fact has gone away now. Um, they know that something is coming down the railroad tracks at them, right? But they don't know what to do. They can't, you know, they're in the headlights. They can't get off those rails because nobody is, you know, because they don't know where to go or what to do. So my guys who were earning two and a half, three times the regional average and had very comfortable lives, they had mortgages, they had, um, you know, they were young guys who were able to buy property property which again is, you know, intergenerational inequality is just as big an issue in Russia as it is in the States or anywhere else, right? Mm-hmm. You know, people in their twenties and thirties not able to get on the property ladder. But these guys did, and they're blue-collar workers. So it was kind of this it's this story about how the rust belt, the Russian rust belt was transitioning and um kind of settling down to the presence of these big multinational conglomerates like vw you know right. vw is bigger than the, G- the 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 turnover of vw in fact the profit of vw is bigger than some countries gdp right people had got used to that being part of what russia is whatever russia is it was plugged into the global economy in a way that that, that is so unpredictable when you pull that plug
2: yeah. But from what I understand, and you've done like extensive research about that, this is um, the, I don't know, I guess it would be like lower middle class, right? The, the, You're, as you say,
1: doubly guys. Not even that. Or middle class. Okay. I mean, but they want to be middle class. I mean, okay. just using the term middle class is so problematic. Yeah. I know, it? because, yeah, it's, but I don't know what, it, you know, what to replace prof- it with, you know. I mean, I, I make this joke all the time on social media, right? So I, I can make it with you guys. So, you know, I talked to my colleagues in, in Moscow, um, who are professors, right? As I am. And they're like, you know, over there in the West, you know, how, you've got somebody to help you with your children and with your cooking and cleaning. And it's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no I don't right <laughs> um
0: so you know cooking and cleaning and and children Yeah. wow well, well middle class existence so for, exactly you know, yeah.
1: it's because they have it middle class is such a yeah it's such a danger word really when so so these are these are blue-collar workers who are on the up right I mean some people would compare them to the labor aristocracy of the usSR they're big beneficiaries and they have of 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 the latest round of reindustrialization in russia And yeah, they have significant disposable income for their positioning, right? Right. For blue collar workers, they have... A lot of money,
0: yeah.
2: But all uh, what I wanted to say is that it seems like th- this is exactly the type of people who would be sort of up until the war more or less apolitical, not interested maybe at all in the whatever Putin is doing, yeah, but at the same time kind of quietly supporting it because they're the uh, beneficiaries yeah, of the yeah, stability definitely. years, right? The war surprised me more than anything—not that um, you know Russia can attack Ukrainians and how bloody it is and how disgusting—but actually that Putin would be. A, Ready to forsake this sort of like the stability? That's his
0: brand, yeah.
2: His brand is stability, at least yeah, of a certain kind. Yeah, yeah.
0: Stability and growth and slow growth, mm-hmm. yeah, and improvement. At least not yeah. worse yeah. than before. I
2: agree. And people were always yeah. saying, from what a, a few books I read, like semi anthropological books about Russia, it seems like people again. I'm not talking about Moscow liberals who are, are constantly critical and was calling him Hitler for many years. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the more like normal people outside of Moscow who were thinking kind of like, okay, maybe Putin is not great, but more uh, is like can always be worse and that was the seems exactly to be, yeah that was a general kind of outlook no one cared but can be worse but that all changed literally from late february so i wonder how you as a again anthropologist look at it have you heard anything from the people is it is it changing kind of the landscape overall in in russia because of well,
1: that wow yeah i mean it's funny in that because of exactly what you said right um relative a re, people allowed themselves to become apolitical because they benefited in some way, um, in some small way often, from the status quo, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, it begs the question, why on earth did he take this risk yeah. um, with what is his uh, main constituency? And, um, again, the irony is because of of all of that, most of my work was not political. You know, I didn't even talk to people about politics because there was nothing to talk about, right? Yeah. Because uh, of exactly what you said. Um, having said that, when um, when he made the signals to show that he was going to basically make himself the leader for life and he wasn't going anywhere and and he changed the constitution, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, we're talking 2018 And onwards, ironically, my, you know, quite passive, apolitical people became much more critical of the government. I mean, we can also explain this materially, right? Um, You know, there had been 10 years of stagnation. Um, The economy was getting worse. You know, we talk about low growth. Really, was there any growth at all? Mm -hmm. Um, Corruption became more visible thanks to... Um, Alexei Navalny, you know, again, whatever we want to, whatever we think about it, Navalny, and I've been extremely critical mm-hmm. of him. Um, you know, his work meant that even ordinary people um, who avoided um, political news, right, and avoided getting anything beyond state media, uh, avoided consuming anything beyond state media, they could not avoid this, 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 this reality, right? So what about now? Um, my, um, very early in the war, literally just, you know, probably a week after it started, I was noticing people moving already from shock, disbelief, uh, disgust, shame, um, all these quite understandable emotions, right? Um, because we should underline that, uh, if we can say anything, if we could generalise about Russians, um, they generally are afraid of war because part of collective memory is this intense um, trauma that obviously affects, affected almost everybody and has been, of course, then manipulated by the state, the, the myth of the, of the Second World War. The, um yeah like, and also the defeat of, of Nazism
0: and also the Afghanistan war is by seen by a lot of people as of direct course, directly yeah. leading to and the collapse of, yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah and I know uh, you know a lot of these guys um are old enough to mm-hmm. have served in the second Chechen well the, the, the after the first Chechen war um so that this this um people were horrified and sick to their stomachs but that again i think because of our choices in the collective west very very uh quickly um transformed into what i've called um um defensive consolidation right and i've written about this Mm -hmm. probably three or four times in my blog i'm writing a short article about it now for the american journal current history so Collective, uh, sorry, defensive consolidation. Can't even um, name my own concept. So it is basically what it um, what it describes. It, yep. It's defensive. It's a response to um, the West, rightly or wrongly saying, "Well, you Russians are collectively responsible. Yeah, you're all to blame and guilty mm-hmm. for what the." The war elite, the pro war elite, has done. You didn't rise up collectively. You didn't overthrow him. We're writing you off. Mm-hmm. You are civilizationally incompetent. Maybe you always were. Let's throw in a load of um, uh, questionable. Um, racialized tropes about Russians being Asiatics or and,
0: whatever. And uh, the, the, not to, not to of course, leave out the, the history of uh, slavery and serfdom, you know, which is essentially yeah, a, uh, yeah, now, a, ge- now a genetic imprint and all these things. yes, yeah, yeah. so.
1: cetera, et cetera. And of course, this is leapt upon by the Russian state media and transmitted and, and it comes across very clearly that um, Russians, of course, are Willing to embrace even more a victim narrative, an extremely, extremely dangerous victim narrative. And we have helped them do that. Of course, you know, it was there before. Um, we shouldn't excuse it. As a response, you
0: know, it's gone to a different level. I mean, to yeah. the point where you know, RT is re- just released. I haven't watched it. I've only watched little bits of it. I, I got to sit down and watch the whole thing if I could stomach it. But there's a RT just yeah. released um, a whole um, documentary, like a feature-length documentary in English, <laughs> or, you know, with subtitles in English, pretty well produced about the history of Russophobia and how it, and they and they yeah, trace it back yeah. to the, actually the this the Great Schism. <laughs> um, and about, it, but but they trace it, and 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 what's what's kind of horrible about it is that a lot of the stuff that you know the Great Schism is kind of a joke, but but I mean, they, they they go back and, and and cite it. But I mean, there's a lot of truth to it. I mean, the the Russophobia you know that exists in in sort of Western media narratives, you know, especially especially here in America after Trump won the election and. The sort of the, the 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 you know the ramping up of this, of this campaign to blame Russia for America's domestic uh, political problems and political processes, you know, just ramped up to such a level that you know you couldn't help it was just coming out of out of every out of every pore in the media surface, you know, and, and here in, in yeah. America, and and so a lot of this stuff again they're they're grabbing onto it is 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 correct. I mean they're obviously using it as a way of you know to to, to as a way to basically. Um, as a way of legitimizing their own their own their own actions and things like that, but but I haven't seen them you know do something like this. So the, the fact that they have produced the whole documentary yeah. in RT, RT on this and put put quite a bit of effort into it, it pretty clearly.
2: And it's not for Russians inside, and it's not right? for Russians. For, yeah. I mean, it
0: is for Russians, no, but it's no, also for no. the West, You know, for Western audiences as well. It's like done in this. You know.
2: But you know they're doing. If you watch, I mean, it's nauseating. But sometimes I do watch uh, Channel One. Yeah. And they doing in smaller segments. Clearly not as like a. It's not a full documentary. There's yeah. a far bit, but they do it all almost every day so they're making the russians more entrenched those who watch it and so
1: yeah entrenchment would be a good word i mean that would be another way of basically saying what i'm saying Mm -hmm. i mean that that this is pushing i mean on one level you know maybe it could not be uh, any different right yes Mm -hmm. um (laughs) you know again i'm trying not to make a, a judgment here i'm just saying what i see which is that um, yeah, I think most Russian people are aware of what is being done in their name, right? So so it's this, it's this thing about how so much of the coverage and so much even of scholarly, like, analysis doesn't seem to be able to cope with the fact that we can know many things at the same time and they could be totally contradictory things, but we could still believe them all equally, mm-hmm. you know? So people, you know, know that that this is a completely illegitimate um, act of aggression against their neighbor. So they can know that they can know that maybe, you know, t- to, to put it in the terms of the first text message, I think that I got when the war started, which the the old geezer has gone nuts, you know, <laughs> somebody wrote to me. Um, you know, they can, they can think that at the same time, they can think, well, you know, he's still the leader, and you know it's going to be like you said earlier. It, pff, what you know, it could be much worse if 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 um if we if we allow division to be sown among us, mm-hmm. right? Um, people can also accept that Russian forces are responsible for the deaths of thousands of Ukrainian civilians. Right. They can accept that, and they can lament it, and they can feel horror, shame. Disgust, guilt but they can still consolidate right yeah. and they can still feel a sense of uh resentment yeah. and um and hostility towards um what in their eyes are is this um um victimization of them and also right? double standards yes, which they yeah. would
2: be correct despite all this horrors that are maybe they're aware yeah, true. absolutely
1: you know i can't have a conversation with 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 my russian uh, friends uh, interlocutor research interlocutors or colleagues without um yeah without people talking about double standards it's, so.
0: it's the, one of the main th- themes you know even if you're I have a friend like this um a good friend of mine you know um who lives in st Petersburg and yeah he's I mean he's he was <laughs> he's like he very anti uh, you know anti-putin in his own way kind of even ran as like an opposition candidate kind of independent in his own r- regional um sort of neighborhood council and and lost ba- Specifically on the corruption, um, on the corruption, um, like sort of I- idea, because he just he just all, everywhere he walked, you know, he just saw money being essentially embezzled. You know, any kind of any kind of neighborhood uh, revitalization project or some kind of construction project, you know, down mm-hmm. to you know just laying down some asphalt, you know, uh, in front of his house. I mean, it's pretty clearly done in a very poor way. the The budget is just basically being stolen, left and right, and he kind of ran. You know, he just kind of, he was bored, uh, basically, and kind of wanted to get into local politics. And, you know, he was defeated very, very easily by the local um, United Russia Neighborhood Council yeah. grandma who sat there. And, and and so he's anti, you know, anti, uh, I don't know, like, um, entrenched power or whatever, you know, and, and, and you know, supports... Basically, he would support support Navalny in in a way, and but then even he's just got I think in, in a huge fight with all of his other liberal friends because he. Would, wouldn't immediately. I mean, he con- he he was against the war, but then would had like caveats, you know. Like whereas, like okay, yeah, it's bad, but why are they reacting to it this way? Like, well, look at the what the West does, or, you know, and or like or like look, yeah, Putin might, you know, but there's got to be some reason behind it, right? I mean, they're like they've studied the problem, right? Like it can't be just yes. him going totally nuts. And doing this, so like, so there's all these different yeah, exactly, like levels yeah. to it, you, you know what I mean? Um, and so, and- cognitive,
1: cognitive ways of coping, right? Yeah, yeah. Because um, of course, yes, he can, he, he could have decided just to do that. He could have exactly,
0: exactly. Putting
1: putting myself yeah. in in, you know, obviously I'm not Russian, but putting myself in the shoes of the people that I talk to, of course, nobody, you know, people can people can on one level say, oh yeah, we killed. These children in the Iraq War, you know, um, but on the other level, you know, your average American or British person wants to feel good about their country, right?
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: And so, you know, those kind of having those kind of conversations about war crimes, targeting civilians, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it just it doesn't have the effect that I think people think it would have on the bigger picture in terms of mobilizing um russians or even yeah. you know changing their mind uh about about uh thinking about themselves as part of a, an aggressor imperialist uh state right um it's just not gonna work
0: yeah no exactly look and it's funny like, work, yeah, like yeah like yeah, yeah. Yeah. it does
1: work with our societies right you know you can't have that conversation.
0: No, yeah, the Iraq War is a perfect example in a way because it's an illegitimate war, you know, fought on f- false pretenses. <laughs> um, yet, you know, you can't really talk about it in um, in establishment media, really. You know, not really. You can, you can. There's some critique that kind of comes through the the cracks, and one of big Trump's like. Uh, you know, I think moments that pretty shocked everyone is how he openly talked about the Iraq war as being a mistake and everybody who voted for it, you know, needed, needs to be, needs to be voted out of mm-hmm. office and all this, which is something that you never talk about on that level in politics whatsoever. And I think it won him a lot of support from, you know, from like sort of a heterodox kind of um kind of based yeah. yeah group yeah, and so yeah, yeah. and so i mean and and but yeah but, and yet and like people will have dual you know multiple conflicting ideas right and they'll maybe say yeah well maybe it was a mistake but what was what were we supposed to do what did you expect us to do you know we were people were afraid yeah. <laughs> people were angry and it's yeah, traumatic yeah, it's, yeah. it's
1: it's it's traumatic um and it comes on the back of other traumas again which is something that i'm writing about yeah um, kind of like the unfinished so- Soviet era, trauma yeah. end of the Soviet era trauma. So did you see all these
2: posters closer to the May Day they would put up and the years of the war would be 1941 to 2022? <laughs> like, you know, like the celebration. Oh, oh, no, yeah. I didn't see that.
0: There's posters like that It said Victory Day and then the, from 1941 to 2022, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. So that, which probably <laughs> yeah. goes right back to the yeah. whole weaponization. But that's the weaponization
0: of, of, you know, World War II memory that's pretty grotesque and, you know, and we, we do talk about it quite a lot here on, on, on the podcast, just that, you know, I'm sure that you, so this is something you came across in your research and it's pretty obvious if you live for any period of time in, in you know, in Russia today is that, you know, the one the one of the only historical sort of events collectively that the collective events that brings people together has any kind of meaning you know and actually does unify diverse groups of people regarding regardless of class or even ethnicity is Obviously, World War Two sort of the memory of World War Two and the victory of it, and it's been com- so 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 weaponized today, so 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 much so deployed, you know, to to sort of shore up sort of legitimacy of um, of Putin's uh, government and sort of his rule that it's you know it's like it's already beginning to fray at the edges. I mean, at least for me, you know, I, I had always been very. Um, Proud of that day, you know, and you know, because my my grandparents, uh, you know, my grandfather fought in it. He almost died. My family lived through the blockade, uh, the siege of 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 Leningrad. You know, it's such an important memory in, in my in my in my in my family. That, but it's been like he's essentially yeah. t- they essentially took it away from me. It's yeah. tainted. It's yeah, took it away from me. It's hard to enjoy this stuff now. You know, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, and a yeah. lot of
1: people feel like that. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, and again, I mean, maybe that's something worth considering. Can you know? It's been weaponized to death. Um, to the degree that for many people it no longer has any meaning, um, which kind of, again, maybe means that it can't now be used used effectively to mobilize Russians further, because you'd have thought that it will be, I mean, it is being used now, yeah. right? But it's not working. I mean, there is no mobile. I mean, this is something, again, that a lot of people talk about. If... To go back to you know the old chestnut, is Russia a, a fully blown fascist state? Well, no, because there isn't a coherent mobilizing ideology, mm-hmm. um, and you know if anything, mm-hmm. the tragedy of Russia is that the regime has done everything to demobilize and atomize people, uh, and, and like you said, it's usurped what was a genuine collective memory of pride and achievement, right? Which is the victory mm-hmm. in World War I. Yeah. World War II. World War II, excuse because me. There was a victory um, in World and, um, War I it was
0: called so <laughs> Soviet, you know, Soviet you know, power. Bolsheviks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um it, it goes back to it goes back to what I uh, what I mean by defensive consolidation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it, it's not gonna the state has so far failed to the well the regime has so far failed to use any of this stuff that it has been um, producing, this, 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 uh, getting hold of this collective memory, it's it's not going to be able to use that effectively mm-hmm. to get people to fight against Ukrainians. Yeah, I mean, and
0: you could see yeah. it too in in in, in you know um, if you watch te- you know like Channel One and Russian state uh, news and the television, you know, it's like the the. World War One was sort of trotted out, but then it's sort of been superseded by a, a, a lot of cultural culture war stuff that you actually see in America quite a bit. You know, um, you know, gay, yeah. gay, gays in the military, or like you know that you know that well, these Nazi too. NATO uh, uh, battalions are not just you know Nazis, which is not even enough anymore. They have to be perverts and transgender people or gay just Nazis, homosexuals, yeah. you know, that are you know out there running around with dildos looking to just defile good Russian people. Yes. You know, so it's. There's yeah. a so there, so it's not even enough. And you, I mean, so to to your, to your point, I think a lot of this stuff is, you know, again, it, Russia has been kind of trying to fumbling for an identity, and one of the kind of one of the one of the, one of those identities is Russia as the sort of traditional uh, family values, yes. place, conservative places. <laughs> and so and so yeah. and so, you know, which is what kind of like it's funny to be fighting against the Nazis because the Nazis also position the themselves that way. And the president not have married. <laughs> um, What's that? The president is divorced. Yeah, the president is divorced and is actually openly living in sin, you know? I mean, he hasn't like openly, yes. publicly, really bizarre, publicly, yeah. uh, you know, married, you know, his new, um, his new paramour. Um, yeah.
1: His new paramour, exactly. Yeah, I mean, again, um, <laughs> I've written quite a lot about social conservatism recently. Um, and it's not my idea, you know, I'm not going to claim any originality, but the... There is a big, big question mark again, because so much scholarship and also media focuses on the Russian media and Russian elite messaging as if, right. As if your average Joe is just hypodermically, you know, being injected by these messages and then repeating them and, and not only repeating them, which, which actually does happen. Right. But is kind of um, embodying them and kind of internalizing them. And, The fact of the matter is that, you know, most Russian people wouldn't know um, a gay person if they came up and um, kissed them, right? Or if they were gay themselves. (laughs) (laughs) So so I kind of question, one of the things that I do is I question (laughs) the meaning of things like homophobia. I question um, the, what, you know, what what do Russian people mean when they repeat um, these accusations that, for example, in Denmark... Um, our school children uh, are encouraged to uh, practice zoophilia, right? What do they mean when they repeat that? <laughs> wait, that's that? true. And it's like, <laughs> according to the Russian uh, media, it's true. Wait, they already um, went there?
2: So, wait, so the, the, is it one of the claims? It's
1: based on one story about <laughs> Danish school children visiting a zoo or something <laughs> and, seeing, and, seeing, and seeing an animal um, that had died, I think, naturally, being. Um, Dismembered so that they actually got an anatomy lesson, and somehow this has morphed into zoophilia. Wow, oh. um,
0: interesting.
2: So, okay, so yeah. again,
1: the problem—the problem that I have—is that people assume this kind of automatic, kind of knee-jerk response that you know the, the the Russian media. Of course, the Russian media does have an effect. We shouldn't deny that. But I mean, I, I think a good example is anti, anti-Ukrainian uh, sentiment, mm-hmm. right? Again, if we believe the interpretation that Russians are really strongly affected by their media and repeat and internalize propagandistic, uh, highly nationalist, um, ethnicizing, uh, pro-genocide tropes, then we would believe that, you know, anybody with a Ukrainian surname is being hunted down by um, Russians with pitchforks. And of course, that is... As far as we could get from the truth of what is happening yes of course there are filtration camps yes of course there are horrible things being done to ukrainians in uh, occupied ukraine and also in russia but for the vast majority of people with ukrainian ancestry or ukrainian names or some kind of ukrainian relatives you know it's uh, again a we should step back and say well that's also a good example that Um, You know, so far, uh, the Russian state has been rather uh, weak in getting that message home that, you know, all Ukrainians are fundamentally um, uh, flawed. Uh, They are, they are, what would be the way of putting it?
2: the message that. that they're
1: neo-nazi you
0: yeah. don't get that sense I mean just being being Russian living being from there and living there it's it's not it's not um, I mean unless something drastically changed you know uh, it's not like uh you know it, it, doesn't, it just doesn't exist I mean there could be this sort of like paternalistic um you know, kind no, of there, there paternalistic is, yeah, sort, of, sort of, sort of like thing yeah, uh, to, towards Ukraine, where you know they're just seen as a kind of. A, I mean, even Navalny has this, you know, kind of nationalistic Russian, big Russian right, or great Russian nationalist kind of idea towards you, about Ukraine that it's basically the same people and it's almost, it's a subculture and a language, you know, or uh, like a yeah, a sister or yeah, uh, a you know like a little country, brother, yeah. a little sister kind of situation, sure. um, which is but that's so far, that's total. I mean, you you have these kinds of paternalistic relationships. Um, I mean, in, but it in, goes
2: way back. It has I mean, within to do with you know, within America,
0: you know, like with so, some some people from, from from the east and sort of the north will kind of have a disparaging opinion of people from the south as basically all hicks and and with you know having funny accents and and kind of but, but still like their music and all this stuff. Do you, you know what I mean? So it's there's all these sort of yeah. different you know, but there isn't a sense of a kind of a genocide, an idea that no. the Ukrainian is an inferior animal, you know, and needs to be exterminated, I, don't, I mean, I don't, first of all, I don't, don't even get that sense f- from just, you know, watching, well, I haven't been back to Russia since the war, but, you know, just watching what's on the news and reading, reading sort of the telegram channels. And so you don't get that sense. I mean, you get the sense that there's a, a very dangerous ideology and an influence that's taken root. Uh, in Ukrainian society. I mean, that's the idea that there's a sort of Westernism and a, a sort of a NATOism yeah. or a Nazism that's sort of taken over people's minds and that needs to be rooted out, but it isn't a genocidal, um, you know, there isn't anything like that. I mean, from what no. I
2: see. But, but you know what I'm curious, Jeremy, because um, you mentioned in one of your blog po- posts, I think, that you've um, been writing about Russia and you generally see it I I tend to agree with a kind of authoritarian neoliber- neoliberal state with with some peculiar whatever characteristics, and then you say that well it's actually similar to Ukraine because <laughs> you know Ukraine and Russia obviously whatever one is much smaller but Ukraine um, I mean up until the war I mean it experienced similar problems whatever entrenched power oligarchs corruption I don't know all this you can throw at, back at Ukraine and now I mean since the war what I noticed and all of a sudden Ukraine is like this. Um, I don't know, is it like saintly nation, everything about it is yeah. just perfect. And they're like literally angels being, <laughs> yeah. you know, stomped upon this horrible, horrible Russian orc. So, but overall, obviously, you know, in looking at from the war perspective, a lot of it is, seems true. But, you know, the roll back to pre-war, can you talk about it bit maybe you did some work in Ukraine? How you see the, the difference, if there is any, on the government level?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is um, where I tend to get into a lot of trouble because... Mm-hmm. Oh, for what you've said, um, we've got uh, the, the world and his wife l- loving this um, opportunity to root for the good guy, saint, the saintly Ukraine against um, the orcs, mm-hmm. right? And and for me, I'm just stuck in the middle because, yeah, I've worked in Ukraine. Um, I've done research uh, on Ukraine and I've worked with many Ukrainian scholars um, and, yeah, I mean, I think what what actually a lot of Russians and Ukrainians get wrong is that um, their countries are actually, yeah, and continue to be quite similar and face the same structural issues, although, of course, there are some big differences, which are so obvious we, we don't even need to mm-hmm. talk about them. At the same time, especially since 2014, but even before then, You know, the educated, liberal, um, vocal, English speaking um, kind of elites of both countries tended to not know very much about each other's countries. And for me, it was embarrassing at times um, when on occasion I would, with Ukrainian colleagues, go to Russia and the Ukrainians were like, you know, uh, are we gonna you know are we gonna be followed by the FSB? And this this is before this this is this is after twenty fourteen but but um well before the 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 recent uh, escalation of tensions. And by the same token, you know, you uh, Russians continuing with these things that Yash was talking about, these ideas that Ukraine is some backward Hicksville um you know country. And 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 it's just It's just such a tragedy that um, uh, particularly, ironically, you know, these liberal elites really, um, on the one hand, didn't recognise how much they still had in common, for better or for worse. At the same time, didn't really know very much about each other's countries and were incredibly cautious and and suspicious about one another. Um, But same Ukraine, yeah, I mean... I get into trouble because I'm one of the few people on social media, on Twitter, that's willing to basically say, look, none of you know anything about Ukraine. These are all people in the North America, uh, most of whom have never set foot in Ukraine and will never set foot in Ukraine. Okay, maybe they have Ukrainian heritage, blah, blah, blah. They don't know anything about this country. This country is not is not saintly just like Russia is not the devil, right? It's They're both... Uh, Middle-income countries that have been caught in this trap of um, extreme, extremely destructive rentier, rentier capitalism after the collapse of the Soviet Union, and Russia went down the authoritarian consolidation route, and Ukraine um, went through a period of um, pluralism, what is called feckless—a very nice term, feckless pluralism. Where different oligarchic groups <laughs> couldn't maintain control uh, until we got we get to the Maidan um, in 2014, and then well, yeah, maybe Ukraine did become a, a different country, and I would be the first to accept that that it did become a different country, um, and one that was was perhaps accelerating away from um, the ways that it was like Russia. Um, So, yeah, yeah, a lot of those things. My work work was about corruption, really. And my work was saying that um, actually, although the um, forms of corruption were quite different, um, the countries both were suffering from uh, unequal access to um, social goods, so healthcare, education, because of. networks of corruption that then uh, involve both ordinary people um professionals uh state workers state officials and of course elites yeah yeah that's that's interesting and
2: and uh, do, do you um sense any kind of i mean like, maybe it's the personal any sense danger to your like, academic career or anything like that for uh, considering
1: you have this well, public I, I stance i mean yeah I, on the one hand because I actually know both countries. Mm-hmm. And, and my point is, you know, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to be, I don't want to engage in West-splaining, yeah. for goodness sake. Uh, but, you know, my point is that, especially after 2014, there are almost no Ukrainian scholars from Ukraine working on Russia, and that's fine. And by the same token, Russians, for for quite practical reasons, didn't tend to work on Ukraine. I'm not saying that I am some amazing expert on comparing both countries. I'm not, I'm not comparing, you know, I'm not a comparativist, but I have spent a lot of time in both countries. I've worked closely with scholars from both countries. And as I said, they tend to really, they tended to really have a lot of misconceptions about each other. Um, and now I'm in this invidious position where I want to be really critical of Russia and and Russians, um, when when I need to be, and when they deserve it, but I also don't think that we do Ukraine any favors by having this um, extremely unrealistic vision of it, because that will accelerate um, mm-hmm. dis disillusionment in the very short term, um, because Ukraine will never be able to deliver on many of the things that that people. Think that it needs to do, for example, to to join the EU. You know that's a completely empty promise that has been made. Um, and again, Ukraine has been set up to fail by that. Yeah. By that accession status. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what I do, and I get a lot of stick for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm I'm very fortunate um, in having a job where the state. Where university university research is still relatively free. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's not. It's not. Again, one shouldn't be. Would um, one shouldn't ideal uh, idealize um, uh, Scandinavia? R- you know, research has been very politicized in Denmark. You know, there is a lot of uh, political actors who would like to um, uh, have more control over over the political direction of research. But you know, my fundamental point is that i say things especially on social media where i think if i think that it's actually not in ukrainians and russians interests for for bad actors to build up illusory uh perspectives on either country you know and that and that goes back to what you were saying you know ukraine is this perfect uh paradise that that is just waiting to embrace Uh, To be embraced by the European family, which couldn't be further from the truth, unfortunately, for the Ukrainians. Yeah. Um, And by the same token, you know, Russia is this horrible, dystopian, uh, fascist, fascist state, you know, it doesn't help anybody to to believe those things. Mm -hmm doesn't help either country
2: but you you probably definitely know no noticed um Mikhail Baryshnikov together with this writer Boris sakunin they created this um a yeah. uh, true russia and russia <laughs> kind of like uh, blog and
0: it's almost like a, a an ngo or something project. or the, yeah, yeah media yeah.
2: ngo i think they may be fundraise uh, also money for ukrainians yeah. uh, i don't know how exactly it functions but you know even the name and the kind of the pathos over this uh, it it's sort of definitely uh, in line with the idea Russia is a horrible, um, apocalyptic kind of fascist uh, state and uh, yet it's not a true Russia and true Russia is us, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Where do you place this, like, ideas of the true Russia, which I think is kind of detrimental to the, you, you know, to have that out in the media. I think as a Russian, I, I don't necessarily want to support this idea, not being anti-war, but being like, this is not Russia and we're true Russia.
1: In fact, it's, it's a little bit like what I was saying earlier about the West's reaction, it's just going to drive people away from them. It's like, who are you? Yes. uh, Who are you to decide? Um, You know, we shouldn't, the very idea of um, there are some people who are more civilizationally competent uh, than others. Right. It's demeaning. It just reinforces um, this, this, sense of entitlement and superiority that one can observe uh in in russian society for a long time so you know it's it's not it's not a very good answer really
0: all this, all the, all this sort of the the liberal sort of intelligentsia, you know, uh, and the kind of the liberal urban class, sort of that, that's was the most sort of visibly against it, and and you know a lot of people fled, and some some people who have the the means uh, to stay in the west, you know, have stayed in the west, and people who found out that they can't, you know, they think things aren't like there isn't nuclear war, and uh, and they, they you know they're running out of money, have returned to Russia, but you know there's a sort of um, I guess something that really started with with under Putin's rule in 2011, when sort of the liberal and sort of urban class turned against him, and there were these big protests. Um, You know, it's been. I mean, I guess to to your point when you when when you said it's you know this war is just if there's going to be a war, it's going to be more of the same but worse. And to me, it's what we're seeing now. It just seems like a kind of a consolidation. Or re, you know, acceleration of all the processes that have been kind of in in place for the past decade, uh, last decade of Putin's pow- Putin's regime or Putin's power, which is that you know he's his his turning away from the sort of liberal urban class as a, as a base of support, right, and sort of forsaking that and cutting the, cutting that off, knowing that they'll never support him essentially, and it, he can't count on their support, and so kind of moving it to a kind of more of a. I don't know how to describe, how to, to say it, more like a red state, more like a, a kind of a, a, kind of a populism, I guess. You know, a kind of a, a very, very certain type of, at least the rhetoric. You know, a, a more nationalistic, more people-oriented, right? Um, and it just seems like the, with with all this stuff with with Boris Yeltsin leaving and creating these true Russia foundations, saying we're the true Russians, and everyone who supports Putin or or is quiet about it is like, you know. Part of the old russia and yeah. needs to be needs to be thrown away i mean it just seems like the sort of the continuation of that process not old, yeah. like
2: not true not real or whatever yeah yeah,
0: yeah. it's a continuation of that process and it just this war is accelerating that political process right of of making this kind of pro-western liberal um, class that's very, very narrow, very, very thin. You know, in Russia, very well, small. Well, yet
2: the
1: most vocal one, the most vocal so and, and,
0: and and influential in sort of in 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 culture and in media in, in in Russia. Again,
1: we can say that, like Ukraine, it's yeah. quite often the wrong people that are getting all of the attention. You know, so um, the people that represent. Yeah. I mean, we shouldn't say that they're wrong or the right people, but the people that represent an extremely narrow subset of even the liberal elite are getting all of the attention of the loudest voices. The loudest voices are heard and they are not representative necessarily of very much.
0: And also, yeah, the most also the most that are um, that that Western uh, media and sort of the Western media and political class feels at home with. Right. I mean, they're sort of um, these are the people that are, you know, that uh, (laughs) correspondents from the New Yorker are friends with, you know, when they, and they, so when they go to, on the reporting trips to Moscow, these are the people that they talk to. These are the people that they interview, you know, like, you know, like this is sort of like, I don't know, I don't know. We go and get personal, but like, you know, someone like Julia Yoffe or, or Masha Gessen, yes. you know, when they go and, with kind of with and, and where they get their ideas and where they get their <laughs> they talk to of, the
2: people <laughs> they, when they talk
0: <laughs> right. to the people exactly yeah. who are these people you know and where do they come from and so you know, they, these that those sorts of voices and those sorts of people are really overly represented yeah, right? yeah in, maybe a, in, better, in a fair commentary. way of
1: talking about it would be the overrepresentation of very uh, specific uh, liberal groups which is also true of Ukraine but I was also going to say um that. Um, this is true of um, academia. This is true of you know Russia experts and scholars as well. They feel more comfortable doing research about things that are familiar to them. And again, before the war, I did mm-hmm. a I did a blog post about a, a pr- particularly bad tempered blog post about this, about how so much research is very Moscow centric, focused on again the perennial mm-hmm. question of the middle class and um, and things like that. So it's not just you know it, it's a perennial problem when it comes to looking at both Ukrainian and uh, Russian societies that 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 people are only yeah, looking at a very sure. small narrow viewpoint. And, yeah,
0: yeah, and and a lot of this stuff is meant to again like even you said this earlier on in our interview, which is that you know a lot of this stuff is meant to why why are these things produced? You know why are they writing these articles? Why are they writing these reports? Why are they interviewing certain people? You know and and, and not others? It's not to try to understand what's happening or try to get some you know as close to some kind of objective you know objective understanding or neutral understanding of 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 the place that there's that's being studied it's it's to reassure um you know, audiences back home, and to give them kind of what they want and and what they want to hear, you know, which is that you know, usually it's the you know, in terms of if you're talking about journalism, yeah. it'll be the editor, or, you know, the assignment editor or the editor who's it's a, but also just generally to what the, what their own culture wants to hear and expects to hear. It's not about chat, and especially if it's these things are you know if it's so like there's a there's a huge you know well, it's, it's a kind
2: basically of basically colonial still. It's right? a,
0: yeah, it's it's like it's this stuff is meant not to again not to educate not to understand, uh, but to further um, re-entrench already existing ideas and to legitimize them, you know. <laughs> um, in the West, right? Yeah, in the yeah. West, yeah, and so, and to legitimize the, the views and actions of your own society.
2: But you know what I wonder, Jeremy, uh, Do you, have you encountered, maybe it's too early, I don't know, into this, like the war and the, and the new world, world order, have you encountered any problems with um, your kind of Russia-based research, any projects, whether book projects or anything like that, or Denmark doesn't have that, mm.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we like a lot of places. um, We cannot um, collaborate on research with Russia-affiliated scholars of any kind on any projects. We can't go to Mm -hmm. conferences um, in Russia hosted by Russian universities. Um, And I'm, I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. lucky in that you know my research is based on. individual uh research relationships with colleagues so you know i can write an article based on my research with a russian scholar who is writing an article with me but she's bringing in her research for example so that's not really covered um uh, and what a lot of academic conferences are doing is they're coming out and they're Making clear statements about how Russian scholars can can um, participate. Um, sometimes doing things like saying, "Well, you can participate, but um, you can't participate with an affiliation." So it's a technicality. Um, they say, "Well, it's like
0: the Olympic stuff. You can like compete without without yeah. <laughs> without the Russia exactly. logo on your back." Um, yeah. even then, is that because it's because most of universities yeah, are state, yeah, again, are, you know, are state institutions, and they have, you know, backing um, by the upset state. Upset me. Yeah. It's yeah.
1: like you know, so you want these people to quit um, to basically show their uh, anti-war sentiment. Is that what you want? And it's like, who's going to quit mm-hmm. their job? Um, yeah, if That's... they've got no, no alternative,
2: or the, or they have to move to move out of the country. Then it's basically pushing them out if they don't want to be like. Kind of entrenched and isolated,
1: and many people did sign the anti-war letters um, and have remained in their posts, and uh, they should, you know, they should get credit for that. Yes. Um, yeah.
0: We yeah we despite
1: the risk of being
0: sacked. God, you know, it's so it's so annoying. This yeah, talk about double double standards. You know, I mean, you know, back in the in in America in the sixties, but really in the seventies, you know, there was a big movement to to divest. You know, because in, let's say in America, universities, all, most, most major universities are involved, very heavily involved with the military-industrial complex, you know, in terms of just, I mean, one of their biggest funders usually is the military, right? The Pentagon, in term, especially in sort of the hard sciences, but not just in the soft sciences as well. Uh, and so there was a big... You know, movement in the '70s to divest, uh, and, uh, to divest, to kick the military off campus, essentially, right? I mean, and so the fact that it's just so, it's just so gross, you know, because no one does that to American scholars, you know, who are who work for universities that have massive military contracts and massive amounts of military research. Um, to you know, to forsake their university, uh, forsake their job, and you know, and um, it's yeah, it's it's pretty disgusting. You know, I mean, I, I, the the double standards that exist in, the, in this in this way, and and just yeah, I don't know. That's I don't know what to say to that, but that just that's just the reality, I guess, of these of 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 the, of the mood today in terms of that. You know,
1: yeah. yeah, it was just really clear. I mean, that obviously, you know, we can say. Russia had been involved in military conflict with Ukraine since twenty fourteen, and and yet only now, um, but but immediately, many scholars were saying, "Well, you know, we can't we can't have anything to do with Russian scholars," um, and it's just, it was just so ridiculously performative, yes. um, and as you said, uh, in many cases, uh, indicative of, of of a lot of double standards, yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, that 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 is continuing um especially in sociology um that um especially scholars from the baltics are demanding that no russians be allowed to attend academic conferences and at the moment you know we're treating it as we always do uh kind of you know don't ask don't um don't ask don't tell (laughs) nobody wants to talk about it um healthy People are finding, you know, these ad hoc solutions, which are not really solutions, as I said, you know, not not showing your affiliation. It's not really a long-term solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though it does allow Russian scholars to 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 engage with some conferences. Um, yeah. it's just particularly, you know, particularly where, you know, in for example, um, I'm not going to name the Baltic state, but there is a Baltic state where there is again um, a closed shop, um, extreme nepotism, corruption in higher education, and it is that scholars, that state scholars, who are just with relish um, banning their Russian colleagues, who in fact may be much more paragons of transparency, virtue, and democratic uh, decision making in their own Russian institutions than in um this eu country so yeah um yeah that also yeah uh, that's just hypocritical just really.
0: no it's well you know people are just settling critical. their scores in any way they can i guess yeah. you know <laughs> um
1: yeah they are and again you can understand that there's a lot of anti-russian feeling yeah. In, yeah. in the baltic in states.
2: states but you know we, we've heard We've heard even like in some ways, well, the acad- situation academia is definitely <laughs> bad from what you're saying, but we've heard even worse stories, I guess, more in the film business that um, like a, a Russian language film uh, that is um, like a fictional narrative film and uh, made by the people who are not at all pro-Putinist or anything like that. Not in fact, if-
0: some of the people have been like, uh, have been, uh, some of the people involved have already been classified as, uh, you know, foreign agents and all this stuff. Yeah, anyway, so clearly
2: nothing to do with Kremlin. Uh, You can't get distribution. You cannot get distribution anywhere uh, the film already been made because it's in the Russian language and the kind of the Western uh, distributors dropped them, uh, from what we've heard. Mm -hmm. So that's even, I I don't even know what it means, uh, because again, uh, following a little bit of this true Russia people, like Akunin, who is uh, clearly a prolific Russian language writer and who says that maybe... That's it, he will stop writing in russian and other people maybe should stop too and i don't know <laughs> should switch to what english so basically trying to ban the russian language
0: english english universally known as the language of tolerance <laughs> um yeah. I, you know I, 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 inclusivity you're British. and uh, and um, and you know human rights <laughs> yeah yeah know.
2: what's this language thing I don't, again yeah english has never been banned despite all the <laughs> at russia's crimes which is yeah you shouldn't ban the language
1: well we also have this um um movement to replace russian studies and yeah people conflating um political studies of russia right with with all the other stuff right and and Today, what was it today? Pushkin statues in Ukraine. Sure, you know, by all means, remove your Pushkin statues. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Putin is going to, Putin's crying right now. You know, he's really, uh, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, if that's what you've got time for while you're being invaded, go for it. Um, but that, yeah, I mean, there's a push and I welcome it to have more visibility to Ukrainian studies. But realistically, you know, in the US, as, as I'm sure you know, the only reason that Ukrainian and Russian are taught is within kind of Slavic languages and literatures, right? In liberal arts colleges and, and that's not going to change. If you lose Russian, you will not, you know, Ukrainian will not gain as a as a result. Because whether whatever you think of Pushkin, whatever you think of Dostoevsky, they are an important um Part of world literature, um, and that is why a lot of people want to learn Russian, right? Yeah. So
0: I'll only read I'll only read Gogol, but in the Ukrainian. That's it. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Um, and again, yeah, nobody is saying that the Ukrainians cannot reclaim Gogol or or um, whoever that that has uh, Ukrainian heritage, um, but uh, and by all means uh fund ukrainian studies better um
0: yeah okay i have a question i have a question uh, and i think we're probably time to wrap it up because we've kept you long enough sure about okay about nationalism and or nationalisms you know because what's interesting you know uh aside from like you know the ukrainian flags and that everyone has on twitter and all this stuff it's like what's interesting about sort of the different kinds of um approaches or or um views you know that that different kinds of nationalisms get you know the different reactions that they get so you know with russia sort of the 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 kind of the nationalistic sort of currents in russian society that have been kind of really expressed much more so you know uh, following the invasion of ukraine and following this war um you know they're being roundly condemned right by everyone uh, and so it's sort of a bad nationalism, a bad nationalistic t- t- tendencies that are dangerous to everyone, right? And, 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 and yet, you know, on the flip side of that, of course, is sort of the good nationalism, right? The good nationalism of Ukraine. Um, and, the, and, 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 and and there's, of course, there's a the flag, but then everything kind of that flag stands for and all the different, you know, I don't know, like different types of nationalisms that exist in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And... and, and when you were, I actually wanted to ask you uh, about like your own experience talking to, you know, uh, doing field work um, in, in the Kaluga region, and you said it wasn't it wasn't very political, right? People weren't very political, but what was, in, in terms of just sort of, um, did you ever kind of broach the subject or was the subject ever broached or was it ever, you know, did it ever float to the surface in terms of what kind of national identity or nationalistic identity did... did the people you talked to, the sort of this working class kind of on the, on the on the make yeah. um, in, in in Russia like express
1: well yeah I mean I think I think if I'm guilty of something it is underestimating the power of um, feeling that you have belonged to a great power a superpower a former superpower um, and giving in to Feelings of pride and uh, satisfaction with being a with with having a, a country with military might that is feared, yeah, sure, those things, those feelings exist, and they they exist in the US uh, in spades. I, I'm sure, you know. Again, if you take the UK, right, a former empire, people feel um, a sense of it feels it feels something that is that is lost, right? That is lacking in their lives, to feel good about um, the empire status of their country, and to brush under the carpet, deny or downplay um, how that empire was built and what it actually did in practice. And so Russia is um, Russia is absolutely no different, and and I am guilty of maybe downplaying that um, in in my in some of my you know. Not my scholarly work, but in, in just some of my. Do you remember how it schools. would
0: come through in, in, in ter- when you were doing the fieldwork? Like, and how, how would that, how would you notice it, or, or just you just took it as sort of part of the.
1: Well, obviously, it, it also connects to the victim narrative again, and, and legitimately so. And you already touched on it um, in the the rest of the world, especially the Anglophone world, does not fully um, acknowledge the. The the sacrifice and the the share of the burden that the USSR took in defeating fascism, right? And so, you know, it it that of course is a source of both pride and resentment at the same time. That, you know, mm-hmm. Russians say, We know that we did it, and that you don't give us enough credit for it. So goes back to what you were saying earlier, Yash. So, you know, it may be that the World War Two myth has been um, usurped, has been hijacked by the state, but of course it is uh, it sounds a little bit of a non-sequitur, it is a real myth, right? So it's something that that has real meaning to people
0: um, Yeah, in a, in this a major idea, way yeah.
1: and by myth yeah. we just mean the idea of, you know, the imaginary idea right. of um, this great collective sacrifice. Um, we're not saying it didn't happen, but obviously it's the past is always an imaginary place. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it's not something that any of us you know, no, almost nobody alive, um, has ha, has memory of the Second World War anymore, has personal direct memory of the Second World War mm-hmm. anymore. But certainly, yeah, that is this feeling of yeah. that does connect to yeah.
0: so it's, patriotism it's,
1: and it connects to nationalism as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, we shouldn't deny that there are these um, empire, uh, and there is empire nostalgia. Uh but again if empire nostalgia would, was really uh, strong we would have a queue of volunteers forming long lines to go to the vian Kamat, the enlistment office to join the army and go and fight in ukraine and we don't see that
0: it, it so, is empire nostalgia is funny too because i mean i don't think anyone is i mean they're trying to build um, You know, uh, they're they're sort of under Putin, they're trying to, and it started actually under Yeltsin as well, but under Putin it really started taking off and you can see it in a big way now. It's sort of trying to connect, reconnect the rule, you know, the the new elite and the new aristocracy essentially to the old aristocracy, to the pre- Pre-revolutionary aristocracy, right? A kind of a the the, yeah. the, a, a the kind creating of
2: a, continuum. A continuum,
0: right? you know. The, the The Soviet Union was this sort of almost a mistake, a blo- uh, kind of a bloodbath. Yes. Yes. Um, but 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 no, I don't like I, 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 outside like a few fringe groups uh, who do, are like you know monarchists. Uh, it's not a very popular position in Russia. As, as I've never really encountered no. anyone in in, in, right. in real life who is an actual. Monarchist, you know, just on the street, uh, who is willing to go and die for to, for the restoration of a monarchy, right? Or for the restoration of the old Russian Empire? I don't think people. I think generally negative. See that place. See see that world as sort of you know negative. So so the, this nostalgia for the empire is what like a nostalgia for. The Soviet Union, and yet, and so there is, and so it's expressed also by the, by the state in a very, very, very restricted kind of way. You can like celebrate World War II victory over 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 Nazis or fascism, but that's it. You know, you're not gonna like, uh, you're not gonna celebrate the the you know the, um you know the victory of socialism, right, and the victory of of, of yeah, communism. and that's
1: and that's what's missing, and that's why, and that's why the patriotic, nationalistic rhetoric is is so relatively poor at mobilizing because it misses that other part that you've mm-hmm. touched on. And I wouldn't even call it nostalgia. I would call it an awareness of the the trauma and the loss of this yeah. grand project, whatever we think of that project, right? Mm-hmm. And and many Russians who, who, who lived most of their life in the Soviet Union would be hypercritical of the Soviet project, but they would still... Uh, acknowledge it as uh, this great project of modernization, mm-hmm. of state building, of multiculturalism. Again, we can critique that um, of um, yeah. of a co- community. In fact, op- op- yeah. op- optionist, op- optionist. Um, you know, uh, so that sense of being connected to this great project.
2: That actually makes me wonder, well, we agree on this, but makes me wonder why, even if... Uh, you know, just as an appeal, as a rhetoric, a PR thing, why Kremlin, <laughs> putting in his people, do not go there? Like, um, why they go right rather than left? And at least uh, on paper or whatever, in public, pretend like they lament the loss of the socialist state, the great project, blah, 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 they don't do that. As you say, like, this lacks, the part of the puzzle lacks, like, you know, you can say, oh, great World War II victory, but... Wait, what for? Yeah, like they don't say that it was like a socialist state with a utopian vision. Why don't they go there?
1: This is why um, this is why I say you know it's a there's nothing special about um the Russian regime and the Russian kind of um hegemonic project. It's a it's an authoritarian neoliberal project, and 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 these authoritarian neoliberal projects they are about enriching a small elite. And why would they want to go? For such an to something which is for something which is completely alien and to them, to them yeah. laughable and a
0: mistake. Right? I mean, they live through it. Putin is a prod is a product yeah. of that system, right? right. And so he he you know he's he. It's a very conscious thing. He's no, I know. But yeah. I'm
2: asking like why, if they're so cynical, which yeah. they are, why don't they just use it rhetorically, which they don't?
0: Yeah.
1: Well, of course there are there is some there is some rhetorical um, echo, mm-hmm. right? Of um paternalism of social paternalism of the social state but you know it's 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 not very meaningful
2: yeah because it's foreign to them yeah yeah. yeah, but, you know, I have to ask you just a little bit more about um, uh, Snyder character because I keep seeing again, even today, I was reading this. Basically, the Russian liberals love him so much, even members of my own family. And I, I wonder, what do you think of his term? He now calls Russia not just fascist, but like schizo <laughs> And he comes up with all this sort of innovative ways oh, interesting of like... Oh, so you know, that explains
0: it. Schizo-fascism. It's
2: schizo-fascism, yeah. right? That so basically, like one day you're
0: fascist and the other time you're no, a communist? Schizo-
2: no, <laughs> he says schizo Fascist is uh basically Russians are fascists, but they basically deny they call oh, everyone else fascist. Got it. And that's right. what schizofascism is. The what do you call it? They flip. flip. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, and uh there's a
0: lot of C's and S's in schizofascism you schizo-fascism. know. Schizofascism.
1: Yeah, it's very hard to say. <laughs> Especially, yeah, 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 if you if you try and do it fast. So um the big problem with Snyder is that he's not a Russian specialist, right? Mm-hmm. And he is falling into this mistake that I think again is just incredibly dangerous, which is you—you you read the top line, you—you you basically are uh, lazily think that what the Russian media says is what Russian people think, uh-huh. that everybody falls into line, and um, you end up with a completely distorted picture. I have to say, though, in he, he he did some more analytical piece recently where he seemed to row back quite significantly from blaming all of the Russians. So I'll give him that.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny because he started out as an actual historian, I mean, focusing on Ukraine, right? So he, I remember, I remember before he became, because, you know, Snyder has this kind of an interesting trajectory that I, that is was a very unique Trump kind of character of the, of the Trump age, you know, or like the sort of Trump derangement syndrome age, is that he, yeah. he because he started out as a sort of modest academic, you know, who, uh, who did a, uh, I remember first coming across his work was he did this, um, I can't remember what the name of the book is, but pretty detailed um study of the violence uh, nationalism in in ukraine and uh you know looking at all the ukrainian nazis what? that you know supposedly don't exist anymore you know he actually studied that and and and, the, and if i remember correctly you know the 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 role of as collaborators of just ukrainian peasants had and in, in 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 that in that um sort of inter it, interwar period but uh, but also yeah. but, but also under Nazi occupation and sort of the violence against the Jews and all that, and, and all that and then he you know then he kind of steadily went from like a kind of an academic to an ideological kind of historian where everything is meant to corralling everything into into a kind of thesis which is an almost like the double genocide thesis or just that Nazi, that you know that the Nazi Nazi Germany and uh, Soviet the Soviet Union were essentially two sides of the same yeah. coin. Right, which no serious historians exactly
1: would um, be able to argue exactly,
0: and about totalitarianism um, and kind of looking at you know the sort of the the curse of the disease of totalitarianism or whatever you know. Yeah.
1: And then and then he became he became a public intellectual, and and he became successful, said, really successful because of that. Um, yeah. And good luck to him. No, no. But then um, yeah, he went I'm on from- to a
0: different level under Trump, which is that he began to sort of he began also almost to be like a, uh, a, 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 a uh, like a messiah or like um, someone with you know an, an insight into the totalitarian mind. And and so when Trump came uh-huh. to power, you know he was he started basically publishing these books it's like 10 rules about you know totalitarianism you know where he's taking the lessons that he's learned you know quote unquote learned from studying Soviet and, and German totalitarianism and applying it to what can happen here in America right this yeah. is happening and these are the things that we need to look for and these are the things we need to fight against and actually his Re, uncle was like a big fan of that book actually it's pretty funny um but yeah, no, it's, just, it's yeah. A, he's such a yeah. It's an he's an interesting character. I mean yeah, that yeah. book
1: on um, yeah that book and also even his Bloodlands book, which is the one I think you are referring yeah. to, are quite controversial and criticized. No, I'm
0: I'm referring to the previous even one that's previous to that. So the Bloodlands book is already already has the double genocide essentially kind of yeah. thesis embedded in it. He yeah. has one that's essentially a, a, a very a very a very neutral historical work about Ukrainian nationalism and, and violence in the Ukrainian mm-hmm. countryside. That's really i don't remember i don't remember the year that it was published but it might have been his first uh, scholarly book that he published you know you okay
1: know?
0: when he was just a was he was just a lowly lowly guy that no one knew, you know no one knew about but yeah, the bloodland stuff yeah. is interesting, and he and he sees the Russian hand and everything. You know, he blamed Putin on the on the on the airplane that that crashed in Poland that was carrying a lot of uh, government officials. Yeah,
1: the Smolensk yes. crash, right? And he
0: blamed it on Putin, and then and then he has he and he like traces his like transformation, and like that he understands the nature of sort of the Russian the Russian evil like on that day because I think he was living in Poland at the time I mean yeah so yeah. I
1: guess it's not its not even about Snyder is it though it's about <laughs> what you have to become to get the ear yeah. of yeah like a, you, you have to become a caricature the, the in a way yeah the, the, the blob right yeah yeah you have to caricature yourself
0: no and you you sell what they want which is again the the Always sells the Russian threat. Always sells, and even you know more more so than now. Right. And you know, and that's my big gripe actually with Putin. You know, aside from you know all the all the just the senseless the senseless death and 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 violence that's sort of unleashed on Ukraine. I mean, what he's done in, in a big way is um, he sort of helped confirm, you know, the the the, the theses of the Tim Snyder's of this world. You know, in 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 in, in a yeah. way that's made it you know for people like us. Uh, much harder to f- to to argue against, you know, because here you have, you know, an example pretty clearly of 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 of, of what, of of, 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 uh, of a military action, right, of an invasion that's, that's that's you know kind of came out of nowhere, you know, try to seize Kiev in a couple of days, you know, this kind of blitz blitzkrieg invasion, then that, that seems to confirm all the worst theories and all the worst yes. uh conceptions you know of the of the of the russian soul and of the russian of the russian man or woman you know uh that, that that's been bouncing around in the west here and so in that way putin has done a big disservice you know just to, but also to the people. worst
2: the worst theories of his rule and his people's rule like yeah i, I wonder jeremy have you heard this i don't know it's not a theory i mean it's and now I, I see it not as too far-fetched that basically, uh, Qaddafi, the end of Qaddafi in 2000, was it 11, <laughs> yeah. not 11 or 12, sorry. I'm it was like, 11, I, think. I think it was 2011 affected Putin so much. That's that when he really, you know, the switch, like that's when he really turned like weird in his head and started. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. heard that. It's such
1: a weird thing. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. We can never, obviously we could never know. And, um we shouldn't be kind of repeating this kind of Putin. Yeah. Again, you know, it's just so dominant, but you know, uh, of course, one of, one of the things that, that is certainly clear is that authoritarian regimes change. They don't just stay the same. And, and yeah, people, people change and people go a bit uh, crazy as they get old sometimes.
2: Well, yeah. So, uh,
1: do you have any
2: oh, no? Remarks?
0: No, I don't really have a yeah. I don't really have anything to add. I mean, other than yeah, just it's uh, yeah. I mean, thanks for thanks for actually coming on. I mean, hopefully, maybe we can have you on again sometime in the future, just because I think there's just so much. I mean, you're uh, you're like a good sounding board. I think for uh, you know.
1: You know, there's a lot there's a lot of other stuff we could talk about and we could
2: go in different directions. definitely this is very uh, narrow in many ways so and yeah, yeah the,
1: the, it's funny
0: how yeah it's just it's there sadly there aren't you know there aren't too many people who can hold multiple um, sort of complex ideas in their head and, and to talk about them because one thing about this war also what it did is sort of it's it's you know a, a it's sort of it enforces this weird discipline where you're either like pro or against and no you know and, and even yeah. you know so many people in the west who are sort of critical of American imperialism you know have been completely like just siloed into this into this very very rigid mindset where they see they, they, they see everything that Russia does as in terms of some kind of anti-colonial lens, or you know that it's purely defensive, that it's purely it, that it's it's totally justified, and that everything is on the west, that everything is the West fault. Of course, it's a complex situation, and you know I criticize, you know I've I've been I've done my share of criticism of American imperialism and of NATO. You know, to be able to like to to be able to criticize the the, the Russian side of, of this conflict, and it's like, and it's just interesting how it's how it's been. There's been uh, disciplining in a way. No one wants to hear the the kind of the messy middle, uh, uh, and the, and so no, it's like don't. you either have like the yeah. So it's just so it's it's been it's been a frustrating um, war. I mean, it's been a frustrating period, and you know, and just just to see how things polarize, and and and, and that there is just not a lot of interest in. Um, and sort of the interesting co- complex th- inner workings of these conflicts and of the societies, and it's just all about like ideology and about again reaffirming what you want to believe. If you if you hated American imperialism and if you hated NATO before, all you want to hear about is how NATO is bad. You know, all you want to hear about is how Ukrainian Nazis are bad. And so and so, um, yeah, it's nice to talk to someone who's can sort of straddle both sides of this thing and kind of look at it from. T- t- turn the cube around, you know, and look at it from different directions and stuff. So appreciate it for you coming on.
2: Yeah, thank you. You're welcome.